Hello and welcome back to Reading by Flashlight. Today we're going to be going over Daughter of the Deep, uh, Rick Riordan's new book. We're going to be going over chapters 16 through 20. So let's get into that. So we left off in chapter 15 where Anna decides to bring along a couple of her classmates to try and see if they can figure out how this map works, which is supposed to lead them to one of Prince Dakar's secret bases, I guess, and where the Nautilus was discovered. So chapter 16 starts off with her saying, since when do my classmates follow my orders? So like without protest, everyone did what they asked her to do. And she goes over to her cabin, the captain's cabin, where she's staying at. And she's like, I still can't really call it my cabin, though. That just feels wrong and weird. And Anna makes Jim wait outside because she changes into clothes because she was still in her pajamas. And once they all come back out, Esther's like, I just want to point out that we're not even prefects. You know, Tia and Franklin should be here instead of us. And Nalia says, it's fine, because I told Tia I'd keep her in the loop, and you saw Franklin, he's kind of busy right now. And Esther, like, still looks kind of worried about it. And she's like, okay, I guess that's fine. And then Jim eyes the paperweight, and he's like, do you guys even know how to work the thing? And Nalia is like, hey, don't question my friend's abilities. And then she squints at Anna, and she's like, do you know? I think that's funny right there. And Anna says, well, there's only really one way to find out. So she grips the paperweight, and it's really warm, like she um, describes it as like a phone that's been charging. And so she puts her thumb against the impression, and it kind of like shocks her a little bit, you know, like when you friction and you shock your hand or something, that's what it feels like. And so she wants to pull away, but it's actually doing something. The map surface is like rippling and the paperweight rises over the map and begins to move around. And it kind of shifts over to this point that's off the California coast. And she's like, is that where we are right now? How can this robot eye paperweight thing know that? And then a line extends from the base of the paperweight, kind of like a beam of sunlight. And it's stretching across the map and past all the stuff until it m stops in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. There's nothing marked there, it's just open water. And then Anna's like, Esther, can you memorize these coordinates? Cause like the thing's still like shocking her, so it probably hurts. And Esther yells, I already have. And she gets loud when she's excited too, I guess. And so she releases her finger from the paperweight and everything kind of disappears that had just showed up. And Eleanor's like whistles and she's like, okay, what did we just see? I can only guess how that might work. And yeah, so she begins to explain how she thinks that that works. And Nolan is like, whatever the case, it's amazing. And Anna asks Esther, how far are we away from these coordinates? And she's like, well, maintaining the top speed we're at in a straight line, 72 hours. And that's assuming we have good weather, no problems, and no more attacks by allies of varsity to commandos. But she's like, here's the bad thing. If there's actually nothing here, we're going to be stranded in there without supplies. Because, yeah, they've only have enough rations for about 72 more hours. So that's about three days. 
that's only how much rations and supplies they have left for, because that's how long they were going to be gone. So if there really is nothing there, then they're kind of going to be stuck without supplies. And then Anna thinks about it for a moment, but then she tells them to get everyone together because they're going to all make the decision together, whether to turn around and head back or to go to this spot in the middle of the ocean and find out where the base is. And chapter 17 starts out with her saying, I've never liked oral reports. So she's like, put me in a group project and I'll volunteer to do the research. I'll draw the maps. I'll write the essays and create the slides. But I prefer to leave the presenting to somebody else. Well, once everybody's gathered together, she begins to talk. So she's like, here's the situation. And she tells them everything. And surprise, I'm kind of a descendant of Captain Nemo. And no, not the fish. Our zappy guns and our other toys are based off of Nemo's tech. Land Institute and Harding Pencroft have been fighting a cold war over that said tech for 150 years. And now that that cold war has been turned up to a full boil, boil, they're coming after us. And we're supposed to find the secret HP base in three days from our current position. And also, if we go out there and we don't find anything, then we're all going to die by starvation. You know, your casual, positive conversation, uh-huh. And so Anna's like, the way I see it, we have two options. We find the space, warn the people there, and make, maybe get help against L.I. That's what Hewitt wanted. Or we can turn back to California, report everything to the authorities, and hope they can handle it. Questions? And everyone kind of shifts around. And Kaya raises her hand, and she's like, so you're in charge now, right? And she says, and we're okay with that? And then... She's a shark, and Anna says, I try not to take this personally. Sharks are trained for command. According to school traditions, Jim should actually be the one calling the shots, not me. So Jim gives Kaya a nod and is like, it's the professor's orders. Find the base no matter what. And Anna's got good intuition, and her Nemo genes let her operate things we can't touch. And then another kid holds up his finger, and he's like, okay, you guys are assuming this space even exists. If Hewitt is lying... We'll find ourselves in the middle of the Pacific with no supplies. And he worked at L.I., right? He could just be a spy, sending us to our deaths. You know, that girl's very optimistic. And then Esther said, the base is there. And then Franklin says, are you sure about that? And she says, well, not for sure. Not because I'm a Harding or anything. If Dr. Hewitt wanted us dead, there are easier ways than sending us to a make-believe island in the middle of the ocean. If Dr. Hewitt's a spy, it's more likely he was using us to find the space. He wouldn't need Anna for that. Then he could sell us out to Eli. Then they could kill us. And it says, that cheerful idea hung in the warm, wet air. And then, yes, it is a risk to go searching the base. But the only other option they have really is to turn back. And that's also risky too, because the Aaron Max is somewhere in the water and like they know what it did to the school. They can easily blow that yacht out of the water. So then Robbie, who's a um, cephalopod, he's like, so this alt tech, you're saying it was HP's mission all along to safeguard this stuff. And none of us were told. And not even you, the descendant of the guy who created it. And she's like, yeah, even I didn't know until yesterday. And then people are, they're still confused, obviously. And Tia's like, so the upperclassmen and the sophomores, they knew about all this stuff. And they never breathed a single word about it. And then everyone did not like the idea that 
the sophomores had important information. And it says the 10th graders were the worst. And then Bridget, who actually had a sibling who was in the HP when it was blown up, says we can't let them have it. You know, the base. It might be all we have left of HP and we can't let Land Institute take it. Or you, Anna. Because, you know, they might like try to take over the world and they'd be doomed the whole existence of human beings okay and then jim's like okay let's call for a vote vote i say we give anna command and we follow her orders work together and find the base then we make land institute pay for what they've done all in favor and then everybody raises a hand except for one person well i probably shouldn't say person but an animal top because you know he can't really raise his hand and then Anna's like, okay, guys, I won't let you down. And she's like, how can I keep that promise? And then Anna says, okay, prefix to the bridge with me. We've got work to do. And it's only 72 more hours. They're either going to find help at the secret base or they'll most likely die. Fun thoughts, right? Chapter 18 starts off with, turns out running a ship is hard work. Um, yes, I, I would think so. And she's like, well, I probably should have known this. I've been on the Verona enough times before, but I've never been in charge of an entire crew, especially not one trying to figure out crates full of Nemo-based alt tech. So they kind of make schedules for everybody. So one dolphin and one shark will be on the bridge at all times, and orcas and cephalopods are going to conduct these unpackings and analysis of all the gold-level tech, all the laden guns and stuff and Lindsay and franklin who are both orcas i think alternate in the sick bay looking after dr hewitt because they're the best of the um healers i guess like the ones who are been trained in like nursing doctoring stuff like that and Anna's also been busy because she's making, like, rounds, making sure everybody's doing what they're supposed to be. And there's also a bunch of, like, cephalopods and orcas coming to her, like, how does this work? What does this do? And she has to say, like, I don't know all the time because she says, I might have Nemo's DNA, but it did not come with any latent knowledge or a handy user's manual. And she finds Nalina in the engine room, and I guess Jem is following her around as usual because, you know, he's a bodyguard, and Anna asks him to leave, you know, go, go bodyguard somebody else, and then it tells a story of why they don't like Jim so much, so it says, I think back to that infamous day in September of our chum year. We were brand new, trying to survive that meat grinder of orientation month. Two of our classmates had already dropped out and gone home in tears. Nalina was struggling more than most. Her English was excellent, but it was still her second language. She was relieved to sit next to me in the cafeteria because I knew some Portuguese. Then one night at dinner, Jim's shadow fell across our table. He stood over us, gawking at Nalina like she was a unicorn. Are you the scholarship kid, he asked, from Brazil? There's no malice in his words, but his words carried. We just finished a hard day of physical training. Nobody had much energy left for chatting. Our classmates turned to see who Jim was talking about, that scholarship kid. And Nalina's face had hardened, and my fingers curled around the handle of my fork. I was tempted to stab Jim and I twain in the thigh. He just reduced my new friend's identity to three words I would cling to her for the rest of the word. World. Ear. And Jim seemed oblivious. He started rambling about his brother, who was in an LDS missionary. And, like, did Nalina know him? Had she met any? And how was life there? 
And yeah, he basically, that wasn't very nice. And another paragraph says, Nalina had gone through a lot in her 13 years. She grew up an orphan, no family, no opportunities, no money. Then, thanks to her elementary school teacher who saw something special in her, Nalina was recommended for the HP entry tests in Rio. She blew the tops off all the mechanical aptitude scores, and she deserved to be known as more than that scholarship kid. And the three of them have all basically been angry at him since that day. And then Nalina breaks the silence, and she's like, this is crazy. And Anna's like, what's crazy? And she holds up this gadget. It looks like some stick of metal with a tennis ball, kind of. And also looks like a slinky. I don't know. But she's like, if I'm right, this is a locus. And Anna's like, oh, that's an electrolocation sensor? And Nalina's like, correct. And she wiggles her eyebrows. And she's like, imagine a more effective, undetectable alternatives to radars and sonar based on aquatic mammal senses. Whales, dolphins, platypuses. If I can figure it out, it could allow us to check for incoming hostiles without giving away our position. And then Anna's like, or it could make us light up on sonar screens. And Elena's like, very happily says, maybe, what's your sense of adventure? And then Anna's like, how can you even talk about this stuff so calmly? Like, stuff like this shouldn't even be scientifically possible. And then she's like, our understanding of the laws of science changes all the time. We've only got so many senses. We have such an air perspective on reality. And then Anna says, uh-oh, I realize I've blundered right into a hashtag Nalina lecture. <laughs> and Nalina's like, that's right, uh-oh, the locus. It's like something dolphins might engineer if they wanted to, you know, improve their natural senses. Or squid if they had a few more years to get smarter or something if they wanted. <laughs> I don't know if they can even do that, but okay. And she's like, your ancestor was a genius. It's like everybody was looking at the world in three dimensions, and somehow he was able to step back and see it in five. Everything's the same, but everything's different. If we could replicate it. And so she's saved from the lecture when Esther comes in, and she says, come with me. You need to see this. And then she's her eyes are red like she's been crying, and she yells, you don't want to, but you need to. And chapter 19 starts off like this. What I hate the most... None of us will ever be able to get these images out of our heads. The feed recorder at HP by Dr. Hewitt Drones is playing on six monitors on the bridge. We will be reliving this trauma in full color for the rest of our lives. So I guess they found some sort of video recording from those drones that Hewitt had sent. Maybe he had sent some back to HP and it's basically a recording of the final moments before the school was blown up. And it's weird because there's nothing there, you know, which is asphalt and the abandoned buildings and all this, you know, like it just got blown up. There's basically nothing there but like Debra's and stuff. And there's no people there. Like no one, no person can be seen on the camera. And Anna's like, I can't decide if that's a blessing or a curse. And she's wondering if anybody got out before it you know, blew up, and she's like, my gut tells me no, there wasn't time. There probably wasn't any warning either. Everyone at HP is now at the bottom of the bay. Given what I've learned about marine decomposition, it may be long enough, long time before any evidence comes to the surface. And Tia says there's this too, and she hits this button on a keyboard, and all six screens switch to, like, the same image, and it's this dark triangular shape that's floating underwater just above the entrance to the bay and they look at it and they realize what it is. It's the Aranax. And Nalina's like, it has camouflage. 
And then Anna says, anything else? And then Tia's like, um, and her fingers are kind of like twitching. And she's like, yeah. Dr. Hewitt was recording satellite newsfeed for a couple of hours after the attack. We made international headlines. And so then the monitor switched to television reports. And there's from California, Oregon, Japan, China, Russia, Guam, the Philippines, all these different places, different headlines. Massive landslide claimed secondary school. Over 100 feared dead. You know, on Mandarin it said, crumbling American infrastructure caused infrastructure caused another tragedy. And, yeah. So it looks pretty bad, and it's, they've made it on, like, global news. And then Virgil's like, how can they not see it? A landslide doesn't leave a perfect semicircle. And, I mean, yeah, it does not do that. And so some news reporters start to cut to faces of weeping parents and Anna's like just turn it off and she turns to Tia and she says the others don't need to see this footage everyone's upset already and I'm not saying that we hide the information but seeing those images would probably be bad for them and Tia's like yeah I agree with that and she's like not to mention none of the reports mentioned are field trips because that means everyone probably assumes that they the freshman class are dead their friends they're parents and their relatives everyone's like we get it if we break the radio silence we might be dead and then Virgil rubs his face and he's like Bernie our bus driver he knows we're right all alive though right and those guards from the dock in San Alejandro they'll tell everybody we weren't on campus when it collapsed won't they and then Drew's like if they're still alive and then Hewitt remembers what he had mouthed to the guards that she had heard was bias time and then Anna's like, for now, we keep going. We just have to hope. And then she stops talking, stops talking. And talk bumps against Esther's leg and makes like this whimpering sound like, pet me, please. And Anna tells Esther, hey, we'll get through this. And then she runs away. And Elena's like, I'll go after her. And then Anna says, no, I'll do it. And Elena, show Tia your locust thing. If it works, I want it installed, like now. And then Tia says, locust thing and then she holds it up and Tia's like cool <laughs> and she says Anna I wanted to try one more thing with Hewitt's control pad when his drones flew over the campus they would have tried to sync with the school's intranet and then Anna shivers and she's like but the school had already been destroyed and Tia hesitates and she's like the computer systems were designed to withstand a lot like the black boxes on airplanes it's possible that the drones had retrieved some sort of data before it died completely so she doesn't feel confident in this plan, but she's like, sounds fine. Keep up the good work. And then she goes and jogs after Esther. Chapter 20, Anna finds Esther in the ship's library. And on past trips, that's been the three of their favorite spots. The walls are lined floor to ceiling with books and everything from physical manuals to recent bestsellers. And books in every language is, you know, you'd want to read in. I don't know. And so Esther's curled up in one corner, holding a book in her lap and tops lying next to her, wagging his tail. And Anna sits down next to her and she says, hey. And then Top gives her a wet kiss. And Esther's like, it's my fault. I needed to, they have to let me rebuild. They will, won't they? I didn't bring extra index cards. I'm so stupid. It's all my fault. And then, yeah, like, no one really knows what she's talking about. And then Anna says, none of this is your fault, Esther. But she's like, but... It is, because I'm a Harding. And 
Anna kind of gets what she's saying. Like, just because your family started the school, you couldn't have known that would happen. And then Esther said, I did know, and I know what's going to happen to you. And then she's like, what? And then Anna's like dying to yell, like, what do you mean you knew? And then Anna's like, tell me about it. And so she looks down at the book that she had been holding in her hand, which was a mysterious island. And yeah. <laughs> and she says, Harding and Pencroft, Nemo asked them to safeguard his legacy. And since Nemo couldn't destroy the Nautilus, he wanted Harding and Pencroft to make sure no one discovered it until the time was right. And then Anna's like, why couldn't he destroy his sub? And Esther says, I don't know. The best Nemo could do was sink the Nautilus under the island, and he knew Aranax and Land were searching for him. He was alone and dying. I guess he had no choice. He decided it was better to trust Harding and Pencroft with the secrets and his treasures. And then Anna's like, so how were they supposed to know? I mean, how would they know when the time was right to find the sub again? And Esther's like, that gray map in the captain's cabin, the genetic reader, they would only work for Nemo's direct descendants, only after a certain number of generations had passed. But I don't really know how Nemo decided. We didn't, well, my ancestors didn't know exactly how long the wait would be. And your dad tried it when he was a student at HP to open it to like unlock it but it was no luck he tried again two years ago just to see and i guess for whatever reason it worked and he was the first to get it to work and then esther said i knew about the alt tech the board of trustees they briefed me last fall not all the details but about your family and mine and she's like i wanted to tell you keeping the secrets felt long wrong and dangerous but the trustees control my inheritance in the school. They made me sign a bunch of papers, and if I said anything to anyone, even you, I'd get in big trouble. And she's like, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And then she said, I'm the last of the Hardings. The Pencrofts died off generations ago. The trustees don't like me. After my aunt died when I was six, she was really the last of the great Hardings. And it's just me now. And she says, and when I turn 18, they're supposed to give me some control. But, you know, they might never. Now the school's done, I need to rebuild it, and I don't know how. And she's like, everybody will probably hate me now for not telling you. And then Anna says, no, and if anybody does, I will put pink ducky water wings on them and throw them overboard. And she's like, that was a joke, right? Anna's like, no, it was not a joke. And Esther said, what about the trustees? I told you what I know. They'll disinherit me, probably. And... And it's like, if the trustees give you any problems, I will personally kick each, and kick each and every one of them. And Esther considers this, and she doesn't ask if she's joking. She's like, okay, that's good. And then Anna remembers something that Esther had said. She's like, you said you knew what would ha was going to happen to me. And she says, like, what do you mean by that? And Esther frowns and said, when your parents found the Nautilus, they tried to open it and tried to go inside. Your dad should have been able to do it. He was a direct descendant of Nemo, and I don't know exactly what happened, but something went wrong. That's why HP was so careful with Deb. They didn't want him to go near the sub until they understood. And then Anna's like, wait, my parents' death was an accident, they said. And then Esther's like, I don't think so. The Nautilus is dangerous, Anna. I think it killed your parents. I don't want it to kill you, too. So yeah, that chapter did not end all that great because, you know, is this ship alive or something? I don't know. But hopefully we'll find out soon. Hopefully we find out next week. And next week 
we'll be going over chapters 21 through 25. So I hope you'll come back to figure out what happens next, to figure out what will become of the kids on the freshmen on the ship, the yacht stuck in the middle of the ocean with only three days worth of supplies left. But thank you guys for listening. And if you know anyone who would be interested in this book, Daughter of the Deep, or just in this podcast, then point them to this direction. And make sure to come back next week. And I'll see you later. And remember, Socrates rules!